Hi guys, this is Erica Weston with Fox Sports Midwest, and you're listening to my favorite St. Louis Blues hockey podcast, Let's Go Blues Radio. Hi there, everyone. I'm Haley Wickenheiser, and this is Let's Go Blues Radio, past to the future. I need one win. What are you going to do to get me that? Selfish hockey. That's right. Selfish hockey. Break it down. Skate the puck. Don't pass it. Headman's still going to be there when you catch up, boy. Take it coast to coast. Shots from poor angles are still shots. Fuck and a half, two minute shifts, three minutes even. Cruise the blue line to catch your breath. Bad bounce, that's a good breakaway. Gotta get the bounces, boys. This is Let's Go Blues Radio Pass to the Future. This is Season 8, Episode 74, Franchise Episode number 260, All Time. Right at the start here, let's uh, give a big thanks to Julio Cesar in Brazil. Make sure you check out his YouTube channel. Uh, You can find a link on the show page over at letsgoblues.com slash radio or the YouTube video that accompanies this episode. Uh, You can check out the link there if you want to see more of his stuff. Uh, Great job here with the song you're hearing in the open. Uh, Just a, a real beaut, if you ask me. And so at the open here, I want to talk about the Stanley Ponder Cup Memorial Tournament. Don't worry, folks, I will keep it short. November 21st at Midwest Sport Hockey. Player signups have begun, so make sure you go over to dropinstl.com. Click the menu option 2020 SPCMT, Stanley Ponder Cup Memorial Tournament, and click the donate button toward the bottom. Uh, then fill out your player questionnaire at the bottom, which you can, it's at the bottom of any page that you'll see on the site there. Um, but, uh, yeah, get that filled out because, um, otherwise we don't know who you are sometimes and maybe we're not drafting you correctly when we, uh, draft these, either individual signups. Uh, and again, uh, no prizes to announce yet for anybody who wants to come and, uh, partake in the raffle. And as of right now, we are planning like we would normally play in this. So obviously the COVID-19 thing could change things, but, uh, right now we are still planning it, uh, as we typically do. If you've ever been in one of these events, they're a lot of fun. Uh, Kurt and Bill usually at least show up, uh, played a couple times, and uh, we have a great time with it. So again, uh, Stanley Ponder Cup Memorial Tournament, November 21st at Midwest Sport Hockey. And uh, go ahead and sign up over there at dropinstl.com. Well, news to get into, which I'm just going to run through real quick, uh, because we will be coming back with a live show here soon, folks. But we'll get to that uh, at the end of the show so we can get to these interviews a little faster. But uh, the Blues are back on the ice, so that is huge. Uh, They closed down after the COVID testing. They are now ready to go. Uh, You know, the the NHLPA is allowing uh, an opt-out for players who, you know, aren't comfortable with the situation. Reports have surfaced that every single Blues player has arrived and is ready to go. So there is nobody opting out, which is great news for the Blues as they make a charge for the Stanley Cup. Um, July 29th, 5.30, we will have the first game back. Blues and Blackhawks in Rogers Place in an exhibition match. Uh, and uh, that's that's just going to be a nothing, kind of like a preseason game, just to get the teams, uh, get, their, get their feet wet, basically. Get on the ice uh, for the first time, facing off against somebody. Um, that, uh, that's going to be their one exhibition game. Then the Blues will begin a round-robin tournament to determine playoff seating. Round-robin games are August 2nd at Colorado. And remember, I say at Colorado, but all of these games are going to be in Edmonton. That is a, uh, that's a 5.30 start on August 2nd. August 6th, they will play Vegas. Time is uh, still to be determined. And then August 9th, they will play the Dallas Stars. Uh, again, time is uh, to be determined. Uh, And as uh, was said in the press release, broadcast information for the exhibition, round robin, and playoff games will be announced at a later date. So just stay tuned for more information on that. Um, Again, not a lot of opinion for me to give here. Just wanting to spread the news in case uh, you have kind of shut off your social media 
maybe you're not paying attention. Um, but uh, that is the big news coming out of the NHL uh, in the past couple days. So again, that is uh, the first game, the exhibition game, which I'm thinking they would televise uh, July 29th at 5.30 p.m. Blues and Blackhawks, Rogers Place exhibition game. Very cool. Looking forward to that. Well, let's uh, get into the show, folks. Uh, Curtis Sanford is our first guest. He's in the past portion of the show. Uh, Curtis uh, played goalie for the Blues, the River Otters, the Peoria Rivermen, as well as uh, various other teams, including the Canucks and the Blue Jackets, uh, as well as the Canadians organization uh, in the NHL. But um, definitely had an interesting pro career, took an interesting path to the NHL after being undrafted, and uh, for my money, was one of the saving graces, no pun intended, of uh, those those mid two thousands Blues teams, um, when he wasn't injured, he was uh, the most fun player to watch on the ice. So we talk about his days with the Blues as well as the River Otters, and um, you know obviously his time in in pro hockey. Uh, after that, we go into the future segment of the show. David Sis of the PuckAuthority dot com joins the show. Uh, he's a credentialed writer for the Mississauga Steelheads and covers a lot of prospects. And we talk about a very important Blues prospect, Nikita Alexandrov, uh, forward, and uh, just a very talented forward and uh, a lot of fun talking to David. So uh, make sure you stay tuned for that after the Sanford interview. Well, let's get into it, folks. Here it is. First interview of the day comes from Curtis Sanford, now the goalie advisor for the Utica Comets of the AHL. And we're back with the past portion of the Let's Go Blues radio, Past to the Future. Today I'm joined by yet another Blues goaltender, uh, former Blues goaltender, Curtis Sanford. Played for the Blues uh, for a couple of years there, came up in 2002-2003, played through some of the dark times in St. Louis, but uh, always a fan favorite. Uh, for some of the miraculous saves he made in that time. Curtis, thank you very much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Um, so one thing, and we were just talking about it, and uh, I've brought this up on the show before, that you are one of the few guys to make the jump from the UHL, which is where the Missouri River Otters played, to playing in the NHL. And you actually did play with the Missouri River Otters. So I wanted to ask you about uh, that year, 1999-2000. Uh, you play for the uh, the Owen was it the the Owen uh, Sound Platers in the OHL, then moved on to the River Otters, then the Rochester Americans. Uh, quite a few jumps there in one season. What was that like for you? Yeah, it was an interesting year for sure. Uh, I just finished up my junior career in Owen Sound. I I played four years for the Platers in the OHL uh, and just finished up my overage year and. It was kind of him and Han about, okay, what's my next step? Uh, started getting letters in the mail from, you know, Canadian universities out east. And and all of a sudden I got a phone call from Mark Reeds basically right after I got off the ice on my very last game. And and I was in the air the next day to, to join the Missouri River Otters. And at that point in time, they were playing in Asheville, North Carolina. So, you know, it was a whirlwind uh, experience, obviously, but... Uh, grateful that Mark Reeds reached out to me and, and, and offered me uh, the opportunity to play some games there and uh, did well enough that I think he vouched for me with the St. Louis Blues and uh, Rochester Americans were on a playoff run and we got put out in the UHL playoffs. And I, again, I think he threw my name name out to, uh, I, I want to say Jody Gage was the GM in Rochester at that point and and went up and, and backed up a little bit uh, in the playoff run. And, and again, it was a, another great experience uh, when I didn't think, uh, you know, anything quite like that was, was particularly going to happen at that time in my career. So it was a, it was, it was grateful for the opportunities. And, and again, is just trying to do my best to take advantage of those opportunities at that time. Do you still have uh, a River Riders jersey somewhere in your house? I absolutely do. I have a River Otters jersey, and uh, I think I got their my my first game puck. And yeah, I got a, I, I keep a whole bunch of things that that I pick up throughout the years and, and different teams, and uh, just keepsakes that uh, maybe I'll pass on to 
to my sons or, or even when they decide to have kids, maybe grandchildren. Yeah. Um, so you are, as I mentioned, one of the few people, granted you only played, at least what the stats say, six games, uh, put up some great numbers, as you said, 1.52 GAA, 946A percentage for the River Riders in the 99-2000 season. Um, you, uh, so the UHL existed from 91 to 2007. It started out as the Colonial Hockey League. Uh, I did a little research last night because I was interested. I couldn't find it anywhere, so I literally had to go through team by team. Do you know how many players played in the UHL and then still made it to the NHL after that? Do you have any idea? Who made it to the NHL after that? Oh, geez. Yeah. I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't tell you. I couldn't tell so, you. So believe it or not, there was 56 players. So you are one of 56, which I think that's pretty elite company. Uh, do you? So I, I have to ask, do you know any names that, that might be on that list? Well, I think... I think there was a bunch of guys that that during the lockout actually played in the UHL. So I, I, I want to say Barrett Jackman's on that list. Uh, Ryan Johnson's on that list. Um, those are those are two, but I, I'm, I'm sure there was more from that year that were just trying to play some hockey while the lockout was happening. So are those you guys, out that list? <laughs> I didn't, I didn't even include those guys because these are guys wow. that played in the UHL first and then went to the NHL. So a wow. uh, couple, couple names. There was 56 players, uh, Danny Lambert, Rich Perrant, uh, Keith O'Coin, uh, uh, Pierre, Luke, Letourneau, LeBlond. I think you ended up playing with him in Columbus, correct? Maybe I not. Think he, I, I, yeah. I think he might have been a year after, maybe. Okay. Uh, Chris Neal is one of them. Uh, just a co- And then just a slew of guys who played in one or two games. But uh, I thought that was interesting. 56 guys, that's it, went from the UHL to the NHL. So that's that's pretty uh, elite company for you there, Curtis. Yeah. I, I, I should have known the Chris Neal name but because uh, he's, he's just down the road from me here. But, or grew oh. up down the road from me. But, uh, yeah, that would slip my mind, yeah. Yeah, you'll have to tell him that one. He'll he'll be surprised <laughs> to hear that, I'm sure. <laughs> so uh you uh so again, you 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 play for the blues, 99, 2000, you come up, play a couple games, uh, but uh you stay with the organization and um you end up playing 2002, 2003 for the blues, which was strangely a historic year for uh St. Louis hockey, and uh that was the year the blues used seven goaltenders. Um, so I'm sure you were, you started the season, I believe in Worcester, uh, you and Reinhard Divas were down there. All of a sudden, uh, there's injuries up in St. Louis's goal. You both come up and then, uh, Divas is playing goal and against, again, I think it was Columbus and, uh, you have to jump in in the first period after Reinhard Divas gets hurt. So at this point, uh, this was in, uh, October 17th. So you go a couple weeks from training camp from being the number four goalie in the depth chart to number one, and you have to play in your first game there against the Blue Jackets. You made 12 saves, Blues won 7-1. Uh, that had to be quite the uh, the, the nerve-wracking experience for you, I would imagine. Yeah, we were just uh, – in. Well, yeah, you just said I was in Worcester, so we were on a road trip uh, – up in Winnipeg playing the Manitoba Moose up there. And uh, we just freshly got back and, you know, I'm, and I'm on a flight and, you know, things happen so quickly and you're just, you're just making sure that you're packing everything that you need. You're not forgetting your toothbrush or anything like that. Um, and, and hopefully you're not missing your flight and that your equipment gets there when you need it. So, you know, you, you there's so many things running through your head, uh, not to mention the excitement of, of your first call up and, and going through that, but yeah, sitting on the bench, um, it's a lot different than, than exhibition games. Uh, you know, this is the real thing. Uh, this is your best players against the other team's best players. And, and, and then Reinhardt gets hurt and, and all of a sudden you're just throwing in the fire. But you know, that, that team was a special team. There were so many great and talented players that, that just rallied around the situation, made my life a lot easier, made, made me feel so welcome. Uh, right away and 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 they really did a great job of of insulating me and and you know putting it all on the line every time I was in the net it was it was it was a real fun time 
uh, to play and, and and to be on the ice and, and learn at the same time. It was it was a great experience. I'm sure uh, having guys like Chris Pronger, Al McKinnis, and Barrett Jackman playing in front of you made you feel a little more comfortable. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and and, and he's, even even guys like Jeff Finley and you know and, and Eric Weinrich and, and guys with so much uh, uh, experience that and knowledge to to pass along and you know those first those first few games I, I learned so much in those first few games from those guys that that you know I took with me throughout the rest of my career and and uh, you know it was just uh, it was just a fun fun time and 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 fun time to play hockey and especially with that team in St. Louis at that point in time. There were, were, were some great hockey players. So I bet when you came on the show, when you agreed to come on, you didn't think you'd be doing trivia, which you've already done one trivia question. So I'm going to ask you one more. Uh, seven goaltenders used that year. Do you remember – who do you remember from that? Okay, so uh, Brent Johnson, Fred Brathwaite, Reinhard Divas, uh, Tom Barrasso, Cody Rudkowski, Chris Osgood, Chris yep. Sanford. That's impressive. Good for you. We, we, uh, I was down in Dallas for work, and uh, one of my friends had texted me and said, "Hey, we're talking about the year the Blues used seven goalies." Uh, you know, and they listed you and and all the other guys, and they're like, "Who's the one we're missing?" And I was like, "Cody Rinkowski. And they were like, "Oh my God, how did you know that?" And I'm like, "That was just a year I'll never forget." You know, how often do do uh, teams, and especially in the NHL go cycle through seven goalies in a year. Um, I think uh, Philadelphia had something similar recently and St. Louis and Mike McKenna was one of them, but uh, just a strange year all around. And I'm sure that was a very odd experience for you getting your first call up there. So early in the season uh, as the fourth man on the depth chart. So uh, I wanted to, uh, to go into, basically you stay with the organization. You, uh, you know, kind of, like you said, bounce around between Worcester. Uh, you were in Peoria for a while. Um, and then uh, obviously came up with St. Louis, uh, 2005, 2006, you started as the backup uh, with Patrick Laleem as the number one man. Uh, but you ended up taking that job over. And now granted, this was, this was not a good year for St. Louis. This was uh, a very tough year, but, Something that that I was always told by opposing writers and fans of other teams was that this was the best worst team they had ever seen because games were still close. Uh, the defense wasn't terrible. Uh, you kind of kept a minute. I think lack of goal scoring was a problem. But um, you know, would you agree with that? That you guys were maybe better than than what the standings show. Yeah, I, I think so. Like again, that year I, I started out in uh, I started out in Peoria. That the team had just moved from Worcester to Peoria in the AHL, and I want to say the first three weeks I was in uh, I was playing for the Peoria Rivermen, the American League, and and again I got I, I started out the year pretty good there again, and and was just kind of waiting waiting for an opportunity, which which came quite early and. I think that opportunity came early because uh, the, the team was pretty slow out of the gates that particular year, and um, and and maybe you know it was it was the fact that you know I was doing pretty well, and and maybe it was it was just kind of giving me an opportunity to see where I was at type of thing, and uh, and, and came in and you know and and it was a t- it was a point in my career where it was basically I'm going to do this now or or I don't know if I'll get another shot to do this. So, um, you know, it was, it was uh, just going there with, you know, with with a lot of intensity and, in practice and and approaching each game as if it was the last game I was going to play type of thing, and, and things worked out. But we had some great players, again, on that team, and, and again, just couldn't, couldn't really find that, you know, winning rhythm uh, at any particular point in time where – you could really go on a run. We'd, we'd play well for a few games and then, and then kind of we'd, we'd set ourselves back for a couple and, you know, it was just really playing catch up that entire year. But, you know, overall the team was, the, the team had a, you know, a great nucleus of players that, you know, eventually can't come trade deadline, you know, got shipped off to other teams and, and whatever. And Dougie Wade got to lift the cup with the Carolina 
hurricanes that year, which was, which was really exciting for him. But yeah, I, it was, it was a good team for sure. Yeah, I agree. I, I always thought, uh, you know, there'd be times we'd go to games and, uh, you guys would lose off a bad bounce in overtime or something weird. And it was always, man, they, they deserve to win that game. But again, you just, uh, the team just couldn't score that, that big goal to, uh, to get the win. But, uh, but always I had fun with that team. It was fun watching, um, and, uh, again, taking over the, the job from Patrick Laleem, who was brought in to be the starter that year, you, uh, you ended up playing in 34 games, uh, 13, 13 and five, 266 GAA, 908 save percentage. So I wanted to ask you, because again, this, this kind of took over, uh, you kind of took over the job there before, uh, getting injured. Um, did back when you were with the river otters or the Owen sound platers or, uh, did you ever think there'd be a chance, even if it was a last place team, who cares? You were the starting goalie for an NHL team. Do you ever think that would be a possibility for you? I never really thought that too far down the road. Um, you know, obviously, you know, being a goalie, being from Canada, the goal and the dream is to always playing in it, playing the NHL and, you know, and you're always playing for the Stanley cup, but just the, just the, just the mere fact of playing the national hockey league against the the world's top players was, you know, that was a dream come true. But, you know, there are some dark days where, you know, you go through the drafts and you don't get drafted and it's just like, geez, where is this, you know, are my efforts going to, you know, be rewarded and, and, and all that stuff. But, um, you know, I just kind of took it as it came and, and just tried to make the most of, of every opportunity and, uh, you know, that being said, you know, there's, there's still some opportunities that, that were left out there by myself and, uh, you know, with the injuries and, and, and uh, you know, and those types of setbacks, I think uh, if I were to, you know, have a redo, I, I'd, I definitely, you know, spend a lot more time, you know, with my, with my body and, uh, and making sure that, you know, my diet was right. But again, those are, those are things, uh, you know, Hindsight's always twenty twenty when you come to those things, but uh, you know if there was redos, I, I definitely try and make sure that my health was uh, you know was a priority, and, and not saying that it wasn't, but you know there was there was a string of bad luck at times, and and uh, you know to go back and have done a better job and, and taking care of those things, uh, you know things might have been different too. Yeah, that was uh, we had caller Carlo Koliakovo on the show uh, within the past couple months, and um, that was something that always kind of. St- carried with him was people calling him injury prone. And, um, you know, he kind of said, yeah, it was, it's a tough stigma to carry around. And, and that was, uh, something again, that, that kind of followed you was the, uh, well, he's great, but you know, he's going to get injured. And, uh, I'm sure as a player that that probably has to be difficult to deal with. And I'm sure you probably always wanted to, to prove people wrong. Right. Yeah, you know, it was always difficult to deal with because you know you're you're in the off season and and you're working hard, but are you necessarily working smart? And and now with the things that guys have at the you know the resources that they have at their fingertips, um, it, it's it's a little bit easier um, to stay on track. Um, but again, there's that self accountability, that that ownership of of what you're doing in the off season or even in season. Are you taking care of your own business and, you know, and again, looking back, uh, you know, I could have done a better job at doing that. And, um, you know, that's something that, you know, I got to live with now, but at the same time, I, you know, I was, I was working hard. Um, but was I necessarily working smart? Who knows? Uh, so again, you, uh, you were in St. Louis for a couple of years here, maybe bouncing back between with the AHL teams, but, uh, what area of St. Louis were you in? Do you remember? Yeah, I lived in I lived in St. Charles. It was a great okay. area. We we enjoyed our time there, and uh, you know we had a had a nice little condo there. And um, you know it was it was it wasn't an e- an easy or short drive to downtown, but we liked the area that uh, that St. Charles provided us for sure. Were you uh, so pretty close? I would guess to the family arena where the River Otters played, right? Yeah, yeah. I think that was maybe a three minute drive away from where we stayed, and. Uh, you know, it, was, it always brought back fond memories driving past the, the old uh, family arena there. Oh, of course. Yeah. Um, so what was your uh, favorite place to go eat, go get a drink? Uh, do you remember uh, any places that you kind of frequented? I I always liked uh, Charlie Gito's, actually. And, and that was a place that, 
you know, when I was on visiting teams, I made sure that I visited with some some teammates that that might not have ever eaten there, and and they always enjoyed the food there. So, yeah, Charlie's was a good spot. Unfortunately, uh, I believe Charlie Gito just passed away, so that's a that's a timely reference. But um, great spot for sure. I've I've always loved Charlie Gito's as well. Um, you uh, um, so again, you 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 played with the Blues for a while, but uh, had fond memories there in St. Charles. Um, how often do you make it back here? You know what? We have not been back since we left. And uh, the funny thing is we had our second our second boy um, down in St. Louis. So he's a uh, he's a he's an American born. He's a U.S. citizen born in St. Louis. But we, we haven't made it back down there. But, um, you know, just where we are with our with our family right now. Uh, probably just wait a little bit longer to to do a little tour of of all the old places that I played and St. Louis is is definitely number one on our list and and we talk about it frequently you know about how much we loved it there and you know uh, amongst our stays throughout the our, our playing career my playing career you know that's St. Louis is number one on that list for places to to live and uh, I know a lot of guys still call that home that that I played with or that you know played before and and now after so you know it's it's a great place to live it's a great place to play it's such a such a uh you know sports driven um community they really rally around all their teams no matter if you know the teams are winning or losing there's always been that uh, really good uh, support yeah and that's coming from a guy who saw probably the arena as empty as it's ever been in St. Louis, but uh, the people who did show up and then obviously people watching on TV were passionate. And um, I'm sure as a player that that probably meant a lot to you. Oh, absolutely. It's always, it's always fun to have, you know, passionate supporting fans. I think it goes a long way. I think it's really, it's underrated and, and sometimes uh, undervalued, you know, in terms of how, how people see it, but um, it has such an impact on, on how the players feel and and uh, and how they play and uh, you know it goes a long way and playing in those are in the in the arena there's Scott Trade when it was you know I, it was Scott Trade when I was playing there anyways but when it was full it was it ranked among the loudest places uh, you know that I've that I've ever played in and uh, you know to see them you know have their wish granted last uh, last summer and. Uh, you know, it was it was fun to watch for sure. Uh, so again, you uh, you played with, I mean, and, and getting across your entire NHL career, I'm sure there's even more. But you played with veterans like Doug Wade, Keith Kachuk, Bill Guerin, Martin Ruchinsky, Eric Brewer, Jamie Rivers. The the list just goes on. There was a very strong veteran presence um, in the mid 2000s. And uh, what did you what do you think you took away the most from playing with guys like that? I just remember it being such a, a welcoming and kind of family oriented, um, uh, you know, team to, to be around the organization. It was, it was always a, a family first type of attitude. And that, that started with Larry Plo and, um, you know, so grateful to Larry about the opportunity that he gave to me. But I think just he instilled that, you know, that we were family and, um, the wives, the wives were were so got along so well with each other, and I remember the Kachuk boys. They'd be down in the dressing room playing with their their mini hockey guys, and you know it was just always so welcoming. and And I remember that you know if there's anything I was gonna I was gonna take on through my you know playing career was no matter no matter who it was how young the guy was rookies veterans, you know I was gonna make sure that you know, they are always welcome and, and, and that, you know, there wasn't anybody that, that you were too good for or, or above. And, and I think that's something really important that I took from that particular organization and those particular teams. So someone that, uh, that you ended up welcoming into the locker room uh, in your later years in St. Louis was a young David Backus. Uh, and uh, he's still, uh, well, after the Bruins series last year, I, I'm not sure how people feel, but I believe he's still fondly loved here in St. Louis by most people. Uh, what was he like as a uh, as a young man entering the NHL, if you remember? 
What I remember of, of Bax was uh, he was very mature for his age and um, he was extremely driven, uh, extremely focused um, and, and to step in the way he did and, and play the way that he did um, that early in his career was, you know, he, he, he didn't play like, he didn't play like a first year player or, or, or someone that was, you know, a sophomore. Um, he came in, he, he, he worked, he worked hard on the ice. He worked just as hard off the ice and I think uh, I think Keith Kachuk was was a huge mentor for him, especially in those early years, um, and and kind of got him got him on the right path. But you know, I think I think David uh, would have been on the right path as it was. Uh, he was just a true leader in every sense, uh, pretty much right out of the gate. He set a good tone. Uh, so again, you move on from St. Louis. You play in Vancouver, uh, back in Upper Berlin, Longo. Uh, move on to playing in the Montreal organization with Hamilton uh, behind uh, with because of, of Montreal having Yaroslav Halak and Carey Price. And a lot of people remember that uh, that crazy playoff run they had with, with both of them in net. Um, and of course, Columbus, uh, you went there as well. Uh, but I wanted to ask you specifically about your time at Hamilton, which is the AHL affiliate for Montreal. So you played in St. Louis. Uh, you get the starting job at, at a point. Play in Vancouver, which was a very good team at the time, um, but uh, you go on to, to Montreal and you're playing behind two guys that probably aren't going anywhere. The only way you're going to be able to get time is likely uh, if there's an injury. Um, so the mindset of of a guy like you, again, a guy who's been a starter, a guy who's been a backup in the NHL, played with some great goalies already. Now you're kind of stuck as the third man behind Halak and Price. What what uh, what does that do to your mindset as a goaltender? Well I think at that particular point in time, um it was it was it was really a crossroads at that point. It was you know, I, I was I was coming from two years where, you know, you're playing behind basically the best goalie in the world at that particular time in Roberto Luongo and your starts are going to be minimal. Um, your playing time, you know, isn't, it's, it's not going to be great. And, you know, I don't know, you know, with my age at that point as well, 27, 28 years old, you know, uh, I just wanted to play in the NHL. And so, um, the crossroads was, do I want to continue trying to play in the NHL? Um, or do I want to start thinking about heading overseas? And I wasn't at the point in my career where I wanted to give up the NHL dream. And so I signed with Montreal knowing full well that, yeah, I'm going to be a third guy here. Uh, It's going to take, you know, an injury or a trade or something for me to get some time. But, you know, my focus was, was actually, you know, becoming a leader. Uh, We had some great young, talented players, Max Pacioretty, uh, P.K. Subban, David DeHarnay, um, Chris Russell, um, some some great young players. Sorry, Ryan Russell. Um, that you know, I could provide some leadership to, some stability in the net um, at the AHL level, and and again, uh, a, a young coach in Guy Boucher, who was really excitable, and um, I thought I thought for a year it was probably going to be a good spot for me to be just to kind of work on my game, uh, get a lot more playing time that I, I hadn't really gotten the last, the previous two years before that, you know, and provide and to provide some experience and some leadership. And so that's, that's kind of how I took that, that, uh, that time in Hamilton and with the Montreal Canadiens, again, another great organization to be with. Um, and, and, and yeah, we had some good teams, uh, some great playoff runs and, uh, you know, it, it all worked out in the end, but it, it allowed me to take on more of a leadership role and and have that experience as well. So again, you you're the starter in in Hamilton. You play forty forty one games uh, typically uh, the two years you're in Hamilton, and again you came off playing like you said behind Roberto Luongo, and uh, in your time in Vancouver, uh, you saw limited time. So uh, sixteen games and nineteen games in Vancouver, plus a little time in Manitoba, the AHL affiliate. Um, what, I mean, is there, is there a 
what would you what do you prefer as a goalie going back to that mindset you were in? Did you prefer you were in the NHL but you weren't playing a lot, or did you prefer being in the AHL, getting all the time you could handle and trying to prove yourself to get back to the NHL? Yeah, again, again, it's it's a you know it's 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 a tough question to answer. It's a great question, but it's a tough answer at the same time because you do want to be in the NHL. And, and again, as a 27, 28 year old player, like, you know, are you going to get another chance? And so at that particular time, I was just basically rolling the dice, to be honest. Um, you know, did I want to be in the NHL? Of course, like who doesn't, but I knew I needed to play and, and I knew that in order to kind of get my game, you know, back to where it needed to be, I needed to play. So that was basically, you know, the roll of the dice that it, that it took. And, and you know, it, at the end, it worked out because I got another opportunity in Columbus a year after. But you're always thinking, geez, am, you know, am I going to make it back? And, you know, there's some, there's some, there's some struggles and there's some tough moments, but, I think uh you know just just keeping my my head straight and 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 just working and and actually being a mentor to some young players I think helped keep me grounded and and their enthusiasm around the rink helped keep me um in a place where I continued to improve and eventually make it back. So um again you made it to Columbus and then after that you talked about you know, possibly going overseas. Well, then you did. You signed with uh, Lokomotiv Yaroslavl in 2012. And, of course, that's the team that when people hear the name, they remember the tragic plane crash in uh, September of 2011, uh, which claimed the lives of such great players as Pavel Dmitra and Igor Korolev. Um, but you signed with, with Lokomotiv as they kind of rebuilt that team. It was uh, two seasons after the crash, but it was the first full season for the club uh, to return and, and play a full season. Um, that had to be strange, right? I mean, you're, you're kind of taking on the mantle of this, this team that, that was all lost at once. Unfortunately, um, you're going to a city that, that, you know, dealt with this tragedy. Um, that had to be a very, very weird situation for you, but I'm sure, you know, putting on the Jersey and getting on the ice, did it just become, you know, getting back to work and, and that's the kind of thing you, you didn't think about when you're on the rink or was it something that was always in the back of your mind? Uh, you're always constantly thinking of it, especially that first year actually. Um, and just taking it back. I remember waking up that morning, the morning of that, that crash and, and not believing it and sitting there preparing to go to, 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 to an NHL training camp, um, and, and reading the news that, you know, all these, all these fantastic people, these fantastic hockey players had just, had just lost their lives and what their, what their families were going through, um, what that, what the communities were going through, uh, just, just such a loss, um, and, and such a heavy time. Um, so fast forward to signing, um, I didn't think twice about it, um, but, you don't really know the heaviness of it until you, until I actually made it into the city and, you know, the, uh, um, all the people there and, and just how, how grateful they were to, to have, uh, you know, to have their team back, but also knowing that it wasn't the team that, that they typically remembered uh, from a couple years back. So, you know, we were, we were, we were brought into, you know, to, uh, you know, to bring some, something back to that community. And, you know, that was, that was something that we had to carry. That was a responsibility that we had to carry. And, and I think, uh, you know, heading into, you know, not only every practice, but every game, and you're walking through the same doors that these, these, these great, these great men walk through um, just a couple of years before you, you know, you had to carry that and, you know, and it was a phenomenal experience. And the people in Yaroslavl and the people throughout Russia um, and how they welcomed, you know, our team in every stop along the way. Um, it was incredible. Um, no matter if you were in the middle of Siberia playing a game, you had locomotive supporters there. And 
um, you know, it's just, it's just something you'll never forget. You'd be walking down the street and, and just random people would be coming up and, and saying, thank you, obviously in Russian, but, but embracing you and hugging you. And, um, it, it was, it was, a it was a, it was an unbelievable experience and, and something that I'm glad that I did. Yeah. I mean, uh, again, that's uh that was a tough situation for anyone who was a hockey fan and, uh, and seeing that, seeing that, that you signed there afterward, I'm sure that was a very strange experience, but let's, uh, let's, let's bring up the, uh, the positive vibes here. I wanted to ask you about, you played again for a lot of great goalies. Uh, uh, you played beside, uh, who do you think you learned the most from, uh, whether it was your time in the NHL or even when you went over to Russia and played for a uh, locomotive? Well, you know, you're just learning so much. Uh, you're, you're taking in so much information on a daily basis. You're learning so much on a daily basis. You know, you'd, uh, you know, whether it's, you know, the general managers that brought you in, your head coaches, your goalie coaches. Um, you know, I took a lot from from Roberto Luongo, honestly, and, and and just watching him on a on a daily basis, how he went around, how he went about his business, but also the responsibility that he had um, in Vancouver, you know, he was, he was not only, you know, the greatest goalie in the league, he, he acted as the greatest goalie in the league at that time uh, every day. Um, he didn't take a day for granted. Um, you know, there was no days off in his mind. He was always out to accomplish something no matter what day it was. And, um, and the responsibility of the leadership that he took on with that group and, and it's a tough city to play in. Vancouver is not an easy city to play to play in, let alone play goal in. Um, so uh, I took a lot from him and and how he he uh, he managed his game, uh, how he managed his daily business, and uh, but how how passionate he was about the game and how passionate he was about his teammates and and that's 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 something that uh, you know. I, I remember fondly of Roberto and it's, and it has nothing to do with, with how he played in the net. It just had everything to do with his approach and his passion. So he's become a beloved figure on social media, uh strombone one on Twitter. Um, was he a, a, a goofy guy in the locker room? Did you get to see that side of him or was it always uh, kind of business as, as usual for him in the locker room? Oh, he was, he was a riot. Um, he knew, he knew the pulse of the room. Uh, it could be, you know, the, uh, you know, the, the biggest game of the year or the morning of the biggest game of the year or something like that. And, and he'd have, you know, he'd have something smart to remark and, and just kind of lighten the mood. But he also knew, you know, when it was crunch time and, and time to get down to business, but, um, he, he managed himself very well that way. And, uh, you know, it's it's an amazing type of demeanor that you need to have uh, that that mental ability to to know you know what's needed at any particular moment. And and, and again, I look at a guy who has that that mental makeup, and and he's playing in St. Louis right now. Jordan Bennington. It's 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 very similar. Um, their approaches. They're you know under that mask. It's it's business like, but you know they. They're intelligent men uh, who know what to say at the right times and, and know how to deliver. So uh, again, uh, bringing the focus back to you, you uh, you move on from the NHL in, in terms of playing, and and um, obviously from the uh, the Yaroslavl uh, team, you go on to become a player development goaltending consultant uh, with Utica, the uh, that's Vancouver's uh, AHL affiliate. Um, so you work with Ryan Johnson there, former blue. Um, and now he is the GM over there in, uh, Utica. Um, I, I, I find that kind of, always find that kind of interesting. You know, you play with a guy for a couple of years in, in St. Louis. Now all of a sudden you're working together. Uh, I don't know if technically he's considered your boss or not, but, um, what's, what's that like working with, uh, with Ryan Johnson? Well, Ryan, he's 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 extremely passionate about the game, and and what I remember and what he brings to work uh, with him is his, is a strong work ethic and that passion, and not only that, he cares he cares so deeply about you know the people that he works with and works for that uh, you know he gets the best out of people, and 
you know, we all want to, we all want to do, we all want to do our job and we all want to do it well. And, and I don't think there's any other way you can really approach, approach work anyways, but, uh, he has a really good influence on us as coaches and he has a really good influence on the players as well. And, um, and, and just that background and kind of what he went through in his career and how he made it and, you know, and his, his, his struggles, his setbacks, I think they're all things that you can bring to work and, and you can have it be relatable to, to what you know coaches are going through and what players are going through at any particular time i think it's you know it, it he he understands that and and he applies that so it's been a really good uh good environment to work to work in uh working for ryan he is he is yeah he is definitely my boss or one of my bosses so yeah you're you're correct um but just just what he's been able to do uh you know with our coaching staff and and just making it a really enjoyable environment, but an environment where, you know, it, it's about hard work and, and, and making each other better. So uh, again, Curtis Sanford known as the Sandman. And I actually did want to ask you about that, Curtis. Um, you know, we've, we've heard of players in the NHL getting nicknames and um, just not liking them. I mean, I've played hockey my whole life. I know we've given off nicknames. It's kind of a thing in hockey I've given it to people that uh, that did not enjoy the nickname, but we called them that anyway. Did you always embrace the name, the Sandman? Yeah, I did. And uh, Steve Plo came up with that nickname, and it's basically I just ran with it. Uh, you know, Steve was an assistant coach at the Worcester Ice Cats, and he just started calling me it. And then all of a sudden, players were calling me it, and Donnie Granado was calling me that. So it just kind of stuck and I went with it and, you know, used that theme on my masks and, and just played around with it and, you know, and yeah, just embraced it. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a cool nickname, but it's, it's, it's something that you can definitely play with in terms of, you know, actual artistry on masks and whatever. So it, it, it kind of worked well. Yeah, it did. Uh, so again, Curtis Sanford, uh, he is now the player development goaltending consultant with Utica of the AHL. Uh, again, want to want to thank you very much for coming on, Curtis. Um, is there any way that people can interact with you personally on social media um, or you know anything like that? Anything that uh, and is, if there's any, I don't know, goaltending videos that that you share on social media, anything like that, that uh, people can interact with you? Yeah, no, no, not really. I don't have, you know, I don't really, I don't have a Facebook thing. Uh, like I do, I do have a, a Twitter handle, but the stuff that I, I, it's just basically for news. I don't necessarily put anything on there. I don't do any, I don't put any goaltending videos on there, but uh, you know, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard. It's hard to, to, to track me down at times, but yeah, hmm. Twitter's probably the, the easiest place, I guess. But again, it's really seldomly used. Yeah, I, I hear you. Um, so, uh, again, wanted to thank you for coming on, uh, Curtis, and um, we will definitely uh, be, be watching your career, and uh, hopefully we'll be seeing you as a goaltending consultant in the NHL one day. But uh, thank you very much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. It was a blast. Hey, listeners, this is Brandon Bullock. I know, I know, I'm a former Chicago Blackhawk, but I grew up in St. Charles, and I'm a St. Louis in at heart. My wife and I recently co-founded Dana Eve, a health and fitness company that offers convenient workouts for anyone, anytime, anywhere. My wife is also a former athlete. She played Division I college soccer and is now a certified personal trainer. Upon founding this business, we adopted the motto, you can change your life in less than 30 minutes a day. After years of constant wear and tear from her sport, Dana developed her own method of training, the DE method, which was designed to go where you go. Using your own body weight along with our Anywhere Gym, Dana will help you achieve lasting fitness in mind, body, and spirit, whether on the move or in the comfort of your own home. Visit www.danaeve.com to start your free trial. That's D-A-N-N-A-H-E-V-E.com. And we are in the future segment now of Let's Go Blues Radio Past to the Future. And today I'm joined by, uh, no, everyone's probably tired of hearing the name Greg Boyson of a guy that uh, has come on the show a bunch to talk about Blues prospects. Today we're joined by David Sis. 
He is the co-founder of thepuckauthority.com. He's here to talk about Nikita Alexandrov. Uh, David, thank you very much for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me. Uh, so uh, what? What? Let me go ahead and ask thepuckauthority.com. Uh, what do you guys cover over there? What can uh, readers expect to see when they go to your site? Well, really, we cover. I mean, all aspects of hockey. Most recently, we've really been, you know, expanding our ECHL coverage, as well as something we're really known for is our prospect coverage. Uh, this past year, we started up a new series called Prospect Profiles. So uh, we release kind of short, basic scouting reports for um, all draft eligible players. But that we also have a lot of big, more in-depth analytical scouting reports. But we started this kind of new series to just go with the basics for the basic hockey fan that just wants to know the, you know, basic details, what they can expect from certain prospects. So that's something we've really expanded on this year as well. I mean, we also cover the NHL, AHL, CHL in a great deal of depth, uh, NHL credentialed as well as OHL, ECHL. Uh, yeah, pretty much uh, all aspects of hockey. Credential. I mean, that's uh, that that adds a little bump to the puckauthority.com. Uh, who are you credentialed with personally? Uh, personally, we're credentialed, or we have a couple guys uh, up in New Jersey that are credentialed with the Devils. Um, in Toronto, I'm I go to a lot of uh, Marley's games as well as uh, Mississauga Steelheads. Uh, was an area I was credentialed in. I was also credentialed this year for the uh, Winter Classic up in Dallas, which was oh wow, that was pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, that's great, pretty, man. That sounds that sounds like uh, sounds pretty legit. So good for you guys. Yeah, for uh, how you. how long is how long has the Puck Authority been around? Uh, three years. Wow, and you guys are already getting credentialed everywhere. That's fantastic. Yeah. So obviously, you guys know what you're talking about. So I'm glad I have you. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> let's let's find out, shall we? Um, so again, we're going to talk today about, uh, Nikita Alexandrov. He is, uh, 19 at the moment. He's a center, uh, Germany native, uh, but he is Russian. Uh, he is 5'11", 185 pounds, 2019 second round pick, 62nd overall, uh, former under 20 world junior champion, uh, in 2020. And, uh, right now he is with the Charlottetown, uh, Islanders of the QMJHL, uh, alternate captain last season. Uh, so what can you tell us about Alexandrov's game? Where does, where does he thrive the most? I feel like with Alexandrov, there's a lot of different areas. It's hard to find a weakness in his game, to say the least. I mean, he's not a big guy. He's 5'11", as you just said, but he plays a big game. Strong on the back check, very good at both ends of the ice. You know, he's someone you could rely upon. Uh, in his own zone to kind of battle hard along the boards, get the puck. But he's also someone you definitely can trust uh, when you need to get a goal. If he's if he wants to, you know, get his team on the board in those big situations, he will. I mean, he thrives in front of the net, burying rebounds, you know, holding his own uh, in front of the net while getting battled a lot. But he's also someone who, you know, creates plays, great vision, and a very underrated shot, I would say, knows how to where exactly to place the puck. Uh, again, he's pretty, his skating, I mean, definitely not a weakness in his game. It's not something that I would say is at an elite level. Could obviously use, I mean, speed could probably use a little bit of improvement, but nothing that'll deter him from getting to the NHL level. Um, something he's really good at, I think, is, you know, his um, puck handling abilities. You know, he makes these little nifty moves that just barely get past the defender. And they're moves that are very hard for defenders to anticipate and actually defend against, which make him really effective at creating high-danger scoring chances. So uh, talking about uh, his ability offensively here, uh, NHL comparable for him. Now, I, I've seen some people say uh, actually current Blues center Braden Shen yeah. is, a, uh, is a good comparable for him. Would you agree with that? <laughs> I think so. I mean, more, again, something I'd say they have a similar style. I'm not going to say that, you know, you can expect the same sort of career from Alexandrov as Shen, but, you know, the same kind of style. They're similar sizes and play the similar sort of game where, you know, they could both score goals with uh, nice kind of snipes, but can also battle hard in front of the net, the good vision. Uh, so same kind of skill set, I would say. 
Yeah, and uh, I've I've noticed in a lot of uh, the reports that I've seen that, uh, as you kind of said, with the good good with the puck, difficult to knock off, and uh, very good at deflecting in front of the net. Yeah. So, do you see him uh, being a maybe a, a top line or a second line power play guy in the NHL one day? I could. I think I think this guy has a lot of potential. Someone that I I really could see becoming an NHL center. Even uh, I I think I think he could make it on a team's top six. I really do. Mm. Um, def- I think he will be a guy that could be used on the power play as well as I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, probably when he gets to the AHL, a little bit more development will probably be needed. But I wouldn't be surprised to see him maybe on a second line penalty kill unit either, just because of the way he back checks hard and battles for the puck. Someone that I wouldn't be surprised to see maybe get a couple shorthanded goals. So, yeah, I was, I was wanting to ask you about that. Him away from the puck, obviously. Mm-hmm. He's got skill with the puck. He's a shooter. He's mm-hmm. uh, good at deflecting. But in terms of uh, defensively, you mentioned him playing on the penalty kill. Is that more just because he's great at, uh, you know, getting in open spots and uh, can take good shots from anywhere on the ice? Or is it because you think he might actually be able to develop into a decent defensive player? I think it's a little bit of both. I mean, one thing he excels at, he knows where to be on the ice, whether that's, you know, to find himself open for a pass or to be ready to um, bury a rebound. He knows where to be, which is, I mean, very important for sure, especially when you're looking at, uh, you know, someone who you want to be able to drive uh, play. But one thing that's also very impressive is he's not the kind of guy that just you know, tries to sit there and only find open spaces and wait, wait to get past the puck. He will, you know, create his own luck by battling. I mean, whether it's along the boards or in open ice, he will battle hard against players bigger than him to get the puck and create chances from there. So that's why I could kind of see him developing into more of a two-way player, which he already, you know, has shown a lot of promise in that area. So uh, in Traverse City this past season, uh, he did receive an upper body injury after taking a high hit in the corner, um, and uh, he had his arm in a sling for a while. So a lot of people saw that. That was, that was a lot of Blues fans' uh, first real knowledge of his this player. And uh, a lot of people said, uh-oh, you know, this, this is going to be an injury-prone guy. Uh, what would your um, your response to that be? I mean, he puts himself in situations where I can see the worry that maybe he will get injured over the course of his career due to the fact that, you know, he's more than willing to battle up even along the boards against these bigger players. And he battles hard in front of the net. So I understand the worry for that, but I don't necessarily think he's going to be a guy whose injury who injury is going to plague his whole career. I mean, I think definitely, you know, he is a small player he could benefit from adding a little bit more muscle which he's already begun to do but I mean I think that's all going to come with as he develops and makes his way to pro in the next couple of years I think we're going to see him get a little bit bigger and hopefully uh, injuries won't really plague his career too much I mean he hasn't had too many injuries so far so I don't see too much cause for worry for uh, Blues fans there. So, uh, again, uh, Blues, he's a center. Um, so Blues have a lot of centers right now. A, a lot of guys locked up long-term, like uh, Ryan O'Reilly, Braden Shen. Uh, right now, Tyler Bozak still on the roster. Ivan Barbashev's a guy who's probably going to be sticking around. And then, of course, Robert Thomas uh, is the the big up-and-comer for the Blues still uh, in the NHL. Uh, so do you think he has a good chance? And obviously, he's probably going to spend a little time here in the AHL. But uh, with the contracts that we see with the Blues, do you see him possibly still challenging for a center spot? Or do you think he could come up as a wing at some point? I mean, I wouldn't be surprised for a player of his size and his versatility. He could be used on the wing and I don't think should have any issues. I mean, yeah, he's a solid two-way center, battles hard in both zones. But his skill set wouldn't – I don't think that his skill set would be – ruined by playing on the wing I think definitely at least to start off you know after a couple of years in the AHL he might get a call up his first taste of the NHL may very well be on the wing but then again I mean you have to look at the Blues uh center depth I mean by the time he comes up Bozak might not be on the team anymore uh there might be an opening maybe as a third or fourth line center just with his first taste 
in the NHL, but uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see him on the wing. I think he could find a lot of success there as well. Um, now, again, I know that you're not um, a blues expert by any means, yeah. but uh, I know you know the team fairly well. Uh, a lot of people always ask, you know, when you look at the superstar of the team, Vladimir Tarasenko, and with him being a fellow uh, Russian, uh, do you see maybe a possibility of any chemistry between those two in the future? Their styles could, if they have a good playmaking center in between them, I could see them forming a solid uh, lineup in the future. I mean, you have a guy that in Tarasenko who's a sniper, but then you have uh, Alexandrov who will be able to, you know, battle along the net, get under the goalie's skin, uh, probably distract players while Tarasenko works his magic. And then someone who could also bury in the rebounds right there. I think if you pair them with a good um, playmaking center right there, I think you could have a solid... Uh, line in the future. So again, this is uh, David Sis, co-founder of thepuckauthority.com. Join me today to talk about Nikita Alexandrov, a, a prospect that I think many Blues fans are very excited about, and I think the Blues scouting staff has been pretty high on since he was drafted in 2019. Uh, David, thank you very much. You're very knowledgeable uh, in, in terms of this prospect. So I'm sure you. you have a lot of knowledge about other prospects. So I want to make sure that uh, our listeners can find any of your work and, uh, you know, can maybe interact with you on social media. So uh, what would you, uh, what, what do you recommend they do to find you and all your work? Uh, well, social media, you could reach me at David underscore sis. Sis is C-I-S-S. Uh, and for my work and all of my writers' work, you could go on www.thepuckauthority.com. Uh, we have a lot of draft content as well as uh, a lot of NHL, OHL, ECHL content, really all your hockey needs right there for some really in-depth, uh, opinionated and analytical pieces. So, yeah, there's a lot of good content there that I encourage you all to go read. Awesome. Well, thank you very much again, David, for joining the show, and I'm sure we'll be talking to you again soon. Thanks for having me. Well, I again want to thank Curtis and David for coming on the show. Uh, folks, let's uh, let's talk about letsgoblues.com shop. That can be found at letsgoblues.com slash shop for shirts and stickers. I know there's been a couple people who have told me they've recently purchased. Uh, again, Kurt does a great job getting uh, shirts and stickers and all that kind of stuff up there. And then remember, too, if you're interested in a Let's Go Blues radio jersey, reach out to me personally, Ponder. 94 at gmail.com. Make sure you subscribe to our show on uh, Spotify, Apple, or Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also listen over at letsgoblues.com slash radio. Uh, if you listen on Apple, five-star rating, that would be very much appreciated. So thank you to those who have done that, and thank you to you if you're planning on doing it in the future. Uh, let's go over some Twitter handles for the show. The show Twitter is at LGB Radio. Kurt Price is at Kurt Price. Bill Day is at Billy Blue Note. And myself, Jeff Ponder, can be found at JPonder94. Well, folks, uh, the NHL kind of released their tentative schedule. And guess what? Let's Go Blues Radio is doing the same thing. We kind of have, for the first time since this whole COVID-19 break started, we've kind of worked out what our schedule is going to be. Uh, so, um, next week there might be a live show and I know I say that, uh, we worked out a schedule, but mm, we're not sure. Um, we might start our next, our live show next week and then return for good. Uh, but there's potential that we will not have a live show next week, in which case you will hear, uh, Greg Millen, former blues goaltender and, uh, somebody who's been actually discussed, uh, with Bernie Federko and Jeff Brown on this show, uh, we talk. Uh, I, I talked to Greg Millen, and he was a great guest to have. Uh, currently works in Toronto media, and uh, yeah, looking forward to get that one out. So, uh, if if we do not have a live show next week, we will have Greg Millen, and then David Sis will also return to talk about some Blues prospects. Um, but I will tell you that for sure, July twenty seventh. So that's two weeks uh, from the record date of this episode. We will definitely have a live show, and we will be returning for as long as the Blues are in this tournament. So that is uh, that you could circle that one on the calendar. Again, we may have a live show next week. Not sure for 100%, but 
But uh, 100%, July 27th, we will have a live show, and we will be back covering current blues hockey during our normal live shows, which are usually recorded Wednesday nights. Obviously, the schedule might get a little wonky here with the way the tournament's going to go, but uh, that is uh, what you can expect Wednesday nights, 9 o'clock Central Daylight Time. And then, of course, you can podcast the show the next day after we uh, after it's recorded and and uh, Kurt adds in some some special effects and I say that it's like just adding in music but uh, you know he does a little editing he does does good work good work with it um, so that way we're uh, we're pleasant to your eardrums as much as possible so again big news uh, coming out I guess for let's go blues radio tentative schedule ahead as we uh, we get ready for this NHL tournament just around the corner folks we got hockey right around the corner it's beautiful we've been waiting for this for what seems like eons well again uh that will conclude this episode on behalf of bill day and kurt price i'm jeff ponder and let's go blues uh the chiefs are at home tonight against cyanosport at the war memorial at eight good seats are still available i think that went very well Thank you for listening to Let's Go Blues Radio. Now take off, hosers. Well, there's 90 minutes of your life you'll never get back. Sorry. (laughs) St. Louis Blues, St. Louis Blues, have you heard the news about our St. Louis Blues? They've only just begun, they're on their way to number one. Now there's no more blues for our St. Louis Blues. Blues are on the ice tonight again. They're rough and tough and got the stuff to win. They'll always get one more, no matter what the score. They are quite a hockey team, my friend.